Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorkin, and with me, as always, is a man who's definitely obsessed with cats and also had a Second Life art gallery. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and men of a certain age uh, all had Second Life art galleries, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, that's accurate, accurate. I think, that, okay, I want to dig into the, the, the first point about that, though. Was there a time, like, I, I'm legitimately just curious about this. I may be wildly off base. I don't know. But is there this weird time period of humanity where everybody who was, like, kind of, like, cutting edge and cool was, like, super obsessed with cats? I mean, that's just generally always true. No, I know, but, like, I mean, okay. I'm going to take you on a journey, okay? Can it start... Uh, in Egypt, what? artists are always into cats, man. That's just no. Okay, no, but this is different. Okay, uh, actually, Egypt is probably your best close approximation of what I'm talking about. But um, so we we have multiple people, artists that I've inter- that I've like interacted within within the context of like reading, right, right. and or watching, who stipulate like supernatural natural properties of cats as a philosophical standing point. Um, Heinlein being one of them. Uh, Murakami being another one of them. Uh-huh. And now this guy. Uh, Jim Davis like, up there too. Well, yeah. Fa- world-class <laughs> artist. Um, what I'm saying is, is like, um, no, like the idea that like cats exist in some sort of weird extra dimensional, like, not of this earth space. Yeah. Are like possessed of some like higher order philosophical understanding of the universe or something. It's a weird thing that I don't understand. And I feel like maybe I missed some window in human history. Like I just wasn't alive that allowed people men of a certain age at a certain point in history to be like, yes, we're all on board for the fact that like, Free love and also cats are super beings there's, from another planet. There's cat people. There's dog people. Pat, you're clearly just no. It's not, not that though. Have you, you understand what I'm saying? These are can, not the thing. Have you succumbed to the anti-cat propaganda of uh, an American tale? Is that what's happened here? What? Yes, I have. <laughs> I have. I'm on board for it. I'm pro mouse and rat. Uh, yeah. No, but you know what I'm talking about, right? There's like, yeah. and, and these are these are just good examples of that phenomenon. Yeah. And they are by no means, like, that is not exhaustive. I think. Like, I, this weird thing. I feel like it's really specifically the 60s, although I think Highland predates that, actually. Uh, but nonetheless. I think we could probably pick any animal and find a string of artists through history uniquely obsessed with that animal. and create, I guess so. And but, like, I feel like. Exchange. Cats and dogs, principally uh, mice, uh, because they're all. They live in close proximity to Western cult- uh, cultural. Uh, the reason, and, uh, the reason outside of Western, uh, the West too. Uh, they live. The, they live in right. a close proximity to humans across the world. Right, but what I'm what I'm specifically talking about though is the the affording that. So like, dog dog media of that sort tends to be hyper sentimental. Uh, it Fair. tends to be like focusing on the dog's natural position. You know, the dog's position. In proximity to humans and their sort of that sort of the sort of naturalness of that, right? We get that now. I mean, there are dog things all the time. 
constantly. I'm totally understanding. There are cat things all the time. I'm talking specifically about like a sort of like offshoot pseudo hippie thought process that affords cats supernatural properties. If uh, uh, if if we want to attribute this to uh, a hippie or mid century countercultural thing, period, I could say uh, I could see cats as uh, they're independent. They are countercultural. Well, and that's what they and usually it, end up talking about yeah. that kind of stuff. But then it seems like it oftentimes extends beyond that. Like part of like that taking that philosophy is like extending it beyond the reasonable bounds of that as a concept, like as an understanding. I don't and, know, man. and making it more than that. I don't. I don't know. It's it's just a weird perception that I have, and I may be way off base. But like the number of people who have written those kinds of not just like sort of philosophical meditations on the cat, but then as a part of that, sort of get into this sort of extension into making it like near, like almost beyond our comprehension as a being is, is I don't know. I it's think, just my perception. I could be way off. It's just a thing that I think about. Like I thought about I today. I was like, oh might, no, I found another one. I think you're actually reading too deep into innocuous understandings of, uh, maybe of, of cat art. Um, there are certainly people who who use cats for something deeper, but they exist in the same realm for people who use mice to, for something deeper. Uh, the metaphorical so. properties Maybe. of the cat are a thing, uh, <clears throat> but they are the metaphorical properties of any animal exist. You know, multiple metaphors applied to any animal, depending on what you want to do with them, right? Uh, sometimes right. mice are the downtrodden, and sometimes mice are the uh, invading disease bearer, uh, like roaches. Right. Um, and it depends on what propaganda you want to use and what uh, what end of that propaganda you are uh, sympathetic toward. Um, cats uh, sometimes are uh, countercultural uh, out there. Do what you want, uh, free, uh, free being, libertarian in the best sense of that word. Uh, well, and beings. I assume that's the main that that's probably the main crux of why Highline was so obsessed yeah. with cats because Highline was super duper yeah. obsessed with cats. But yeah. like, um, I don't know. It's just you but know, cats, you get in like cats you know, as Murder opposed Kami to has... dogs are cool and sexy as opposed to dumb and uh, and. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I get it. It's just, so. it's just a thing where, like, I feel like a, I've encountered cats framed in a certain era of artwork quite a bit more than I've encountered dogs for that. Okay. And I think it has to do with maybe the thought processes that were going on at the time or something. Well, I think a lot of dog art, a lot of dog art succumbs to uh, either dogs as man's best friend or dogs as dudes. Uh all all dogs with human characteristics are dogs as dudes. Yeah, I think that and that yeah and again and the, because dogs are not inherently aloof, it yeah. says that there's not as much to talk about with dogs. Like everybody's pretty well acquainted with the life site, like the lifestyle of their dog. Right. Uh, Cats can disappear for days, and you think maybe you've lost right. your cat, but then it's just under the sink. Back, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's living in your dishwasher now or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, no, I don't know. It's just a weird thing. But, um, you know, because it's fine. Um, so the movie. <laughs> Movies. 
Pat, before we get into our movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can get access to a special bonus episode. You get to vote on what that bonus episode is going to be. Kazam yeah, is always a choice. It's well always as, the right choice. Always actually. the right choice. As well as four other movies, usually on a theme, sometimes user-generated. I let uh, I let supporters. I'm uh, a big fan of the user-generated list. Yeah, we, I am we've really watched some really great movies from our user-generated list, too. Um, we've watched some very interesting movies. Always a non-criterion movie over there as well. Uh, though, at least uh, at least in one instance, uh, we did end up doing a movie that later became a Criterion movie. And I'm sure moving Considering forward, Considering the more trajectory like of the Criterion happen. collection, yeah. yeah. Like, eventually, all the movies we've watched will be in the Criterion collection. I suspect that uh, uh, Spine Number 2000, when they get there and at the speed they're going, that'll be late next year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Spine yeah. 2000 <laughs> will be a box set of all of the Ernest movies. Uh, God. So- oh. oh. Legitimately speaking, I could see a, an honest-to-God artistic argument from doing that. <laughs> I, I, I'd be on board, man. I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm, like, I, it sounds like a joke. I mean, but I mean, it sounds yeah. like we're making a joke. But in all honesty, that is a that is an oeuvre is so fascinating. Like that, like the whole thing, the story behind it, like where yeah. that, how that developed over time into what it finally became before it sort of just came to a halt. Like as it as it just went took one, like just took one random ass path after another. Right. I don't know. There's something beautiful there. I just don't know what it is. There is a really great clip I've seen of Jim Varney on like an NBC nightly news bit about him uh, in the early '80s. Maybe maybe I'm way off on the timing. Uh, but uh, but a profile on him that ends with him. Doing a a very well acted rendition of I believe the to be or not to be speech from Hamlet, uh, and then finishing it and turning to the camera and going, you "Know what I mean, Vern?" And it's so yeah, delightful. Right. I love it. Yeah, I know exactly. That's anyway. what I'm talking about, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's there's it's something there, man. They they're they're missing it. They're missing yeah. the boat on that one. For a dollar a month, you uh, you get to vote. You get access to the whole back catalog, and. Uh, and you get the new episodes, of course. That's patreon.com slash Lost and Criterion. A little more a month over there. $5 a month. We like to thank those people on air. So thank you to Adams Bickerman for your continued $5 yes, support. You. A little above that, we do something that I think is very special. For $10 and above a month, uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. And I get that printed up on a postcard and write a thank you note to those supporters and mail that off. Uh, so if you like bespoke art and... Uh, uh, notes that you can't read because they're written by a guy who, uh, <laughs> who can't with a cl- with a fountain pen. Listen, I write with a fountain pen. I went to college to be a teacher, but I dropped. I decided I didn't want to be a teacher right before the class that would have taught me how to write on the chalkboard so that people could read it. So I had to learn that the hard way. Yeah. Uh, I so to, I just to trial uh, and error. I can't. I can't write. For legibility, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to everyone who here's a funny thing. Not oh, been able to ahead. figure out what my Christmas cards and my postcards say. Uh, yeah, I'm so I mean, sorry. it's not really a super important skill in our modern world. Um, yeah. It's really more to do with the fact that fountain pens are really stupidly hard to use. Actually, 
That's fair, too. Like, in a way that's legible. Like, even somebody who's like, I don't know. Like, I, I have decent handwriting. Like, I go out of my way to try, and then, like, I, I pick up a fountain pen. And I'm like, well, this was a fucking train wreck. <laughs> uh, we also like to thank those people on air, though, the people at that level. Thank you to Jason Westhaver and Michael McGrath for your continued yes, $10 you. and above supports. Uh, very glad to have you on board. This week, we are talking about a pair of films by Chris Marker. Chris Marker is uh, he's French. Uh, I don't believe Chris Marker is his birth name. It's not. It's not. Christian Francois Boucher Villeneuve. I personally don't believe he's a real person. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not 100% joking. Yeah. I think he might be an art project himself. Yes. He claims he was born in Mongolia. <laughs> he was probably born in Paris. Uh Yeah. No, that I mean, I personally think that that statement alone tells you all you need to know. Right. We could end the podcast he is, now. He is a very reclusive man. He's uh, very, uh, seems interesting, perhaps only in his reclusiveness. Um, he was a friend to Agnes Varda and Rene uh, early on. Uh, continue to be their friends. That that sentence implied that they had a falling out. They, <laughs> they all broke up with him at some point. <laughs> yeah. like, fuck this guy. Um, he uh, was very much an early adopter for uh, technology as it came along. Uh, in 1995, he put out a CD-ROM art game thing <laughs> um, uh, called uh, In Memory, uh, which looks very interesting. Uh, apparently, he had a... Uh, uh robust second life uh art project thing too um yeah which is why we talked about second life to get this started uh i've never actually played second life have you i downloaded it didn't yeah. understand it and then deleted it i think that's, i had it on my computer for like an hour or two and i was like i what the fuck is that happening might be here? where i, I was too for a little bit yeah i guess it still exists right like, oh it definitely still, still exists yeah. Uh, as far as I know, it's a weird wasteland of uh, uh, griefers and abandoned corporate projects. So yeah, sounds about uh, right. So really, like yeah, Gibson is I'm sure in love with that place now. Oh right? yeah, like, absolutely. Because it's like it's exactly what it ought to be right yeah. now at this point, right? Just a bunch of people making like, each other's lives really hard, and then a bunch of <laughs> empty corporate shells. Right, right. I love it. I should join now, honestly. It sounds like a, <laughs> sounds like a paradise. It's probably great. Um, the two films are Le Jetier, The Jetty, yep. uh, from 1962, a sci-fi short, and Sans Soleil, uh, Sunless, from 1983, a sort of travelogue... <laughs> I don't think it's worth trying to classify this thing. It may it's not be worth trying to classify what Sansilier is. None of the words we use will actually mean anything as right. it regards that in film. Right. I mean, the word film is probably the only word that applies <laughs> to it that is actually functionally technically correct. Right. Uh, I think all the descriptions I saw of it were like pseudo, like pseudo travelogue documentary, like letter based short story. It's like. <laughs> 
It's it's just stuff. Visual just essay stuff. is a is a phrase we've used I mean, before, but really doesn't mean anything. No, so. not and it's also not what this is. Yeah. Like if I'm gonna be honest with you, like I mean, if I'm being really brutally honest about it, it just sounds like the sort of like what it reminds me of is like what eighteen year old me had as an inner monologue when I was fucking around in my dorm room at two AM. Sensolier is the closest thing we've seen, and perhaps the closest thing a film can be to being stream of consciousness. Yes, I would agree with that. And that's exactly what I was trying to to reference. I'm not entirely sure a film can be stream of consciousness. Uh, it could probably be written stream of consciousness. You could yeah. you could legitimately sit down and write the script for a film in the way that you would write a stream of conscious novel or, or right. a poem or something right. like that. Like you could do that part, but at some point you have to put fucking film to camera. <laughs> right. Right. At which point it stops there being are, stream of there consciousness. There are editing decisions made, yeah. and you are making yeah. choices. Um, but at the same time, Saint Solier uh, is. It's something else entirely. There's no, yeah, no real way I, I, to that, to yeah. describe what yeah. it is in any meaningful way. It is something no, not not with words, not with <laughs> the, the English language as it stands now. Uh, that's why I thought maybe it'd be good to start with Legete <laughs> or whatever, but just because it's a nice right. jumping off point. It is fascinating and interesting, and does a lot of neat stuff that is actually physically classifiable. Yeah, like words can be used to talk about it and have them mean things. Given, uh, I think, given oh, the pairing, and that this is the only thing we have from Marker in the collection, yeah, I think starting with the GTA is uh, is the better choice because chronologically it's earlier. Yeah, chronologically, and, and it's just much more digestible. Right, and Sansole is uh, is the uh, the solo to <laughs> to Legetier's, uh Oh goodness! Anything early Pasolini, I guess. In that, yeah. in that, Sansolier deals with a lot of the same themes as uh, Legetier, but Legetier is a story and is consumable. <laughs> and Sansolier yeah, is borderline militant about its yeah. unwillingness to bend to convention. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, yes, I agree. Yeah, I I do want before we talk about Legetier, and we'll swing back to Sansolier certainly. Uh, I do want to say I enjoyed Sansolier, and I think it is worthwhile to watch it multiple times. Uh, I I have watched it multiple times yeah. as part of this. <laughs> yes. um, I, I you and I will differ in some ways, yeah, and, and not in others. <laughs> I have very mixed opinions about it, yeah, because uh, of things we'll talk about soon. Yes, certainly, certainly. But I have no mixed opinions of Legetier because it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Oh. It is possibly like legitimately. It it is in that that short film is in my top whatever. I don't yeah. I can no longer maintain a real list. Yeah. Uh I try, but like it is fucking unbelievable. Right. I watched it I think three times. <laughs> I watched the English version, I watched the French version, and then I went back and watched the English version again. It was like fuck, I just I'm Yeah. It's astounding. It is uh, so you so good. Small critique, you may have made a mistake watching the English version first. Uh, mostly because everything that works about Le Jetier, uh almost works independently of understanding the languages spoken. Um, um, 
See, I, I one of the guys in one of the interviews said that, and I do disagree with that. I think actually Terry Gilliam said that in one of the interviews. I think it might have been Terry Gilliam. I've, yeah. I've lost track but at this point. Well, because anyway. the, the interview had like nine people stacked yeah. on top of each yeah. other. Um, but like, I I don't disagree that like you could watch it without the language and totally be like on board for it. Now, keep yeah. in mind the French version also has English subtitles. Right, right, right. You're gonna know what they're fucking saying one way or the other unless you actively try to not. Right. Um, I I agree with that as a as a statement, uh, and that it would be really enrapturing to watch even without the the words. Yeah, but I do think the words add things to it. Right. Uh, because the the words make it into more even more of a story. Yeah. Uh, and I and I think the French version especially, uh, the English version I do think is not the the the, the audio is fine, but it doesn't have the gravitas that the French version like the way the wor- the way it is the, the the pacing and the way it's said yeah in the French version makes it so much more melancholy sounding uh than the English version yeah the English version comes off as slightly almost like almost too upbeat sounding whereas the French version is paced a little bit different and sounds more like just the the tone of voice sounds more like grave, like yeah. dire. Um, I wonder if there is a relationship between Le Jetier and Alphaville. Could be. Alphaville came out three years after Le Jetier, right? Um, I mean, it probably wasn't being made. It probably was not being made before Legia Day came out, right? Certainly. Because three years would be a long time, so. Um, only three years apart. I feel like, you know, ideologically, they have some things in common. Um, the black and white. Obviously, Alphaville uses still photographs uh, in some scenes as well. Uh, if you remember, specifically, particularly during fight sequences, Alpha Villius is still uh, still right. imagery. Um, but yeah, I I don't. <laughs> they're they're running oh. in the same circles, right? Right, um, and I would say that, like, honestly speaking, like, probably if you've seen this movie and you try to make, right, right. I mean, honestly, you've if we, seen this movie. If you I start counting to the, believe. You, the movies that were influenced clearly by Le Jetier. Uh, you know, obviously you've got 12 Monkeys, and that's clear. Right, that's the And 12 given, Monkeys right, is a remake. It's literally basically a remake, right, yeah. Right, an, extend, an extension of it, but a remake. Uh, but ultimately, uh, The Terminator is oh, a version yeah, for of sure. Le Jetier too, right? Uh, that, that's sort of like, yeah, going back to rewrite your past and then it all yeah. fucking falling apart. Yeah, and all that. yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Almost any closed time loop movie would have yeah, uh, basically would have uh, uh, inspiration from Le Jetier, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, it's just so brass tacks. Uh, you need to watch it, but uh, it's a series of still photographs to tell the story. There is one very short actual filmed clip in it. Is there? I uh, I believe there is. She moves in one very short clip. Oh, I didn't even waking I didn't, up. It's so I short you may not even notice it. Yeah, You've I watched it three times and you did it. Three fucking right? times I didn't notice right. that. 
Um, Are you sure you didn't? Your, your brain didn't just maybe motion my, blur no, two photos. In no, I, I was reading about how one of the reasons this film exists the way it exists is because he couldn't afford to rent a camera. Uh, okay. But he got he got one camera for for a <laughs> for half hour, ten seconds. Yeah, <laughs> fuck, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, okay. I wanna, as a sci-fi okay, short, as a sci-fi yes. short story, it would be great. Uh, yeah, but the and, fact and that it's a visual short probably, story is even... Honestly, as a sci-fi short story, it's good. It's very yeah. well done. Don't get me wrong. But I would say that it is probably not super groundbreaking in that territory. Probably not. Uh, other than possibly the idea that like the way they're time traveling is so much more like not... like sci- You know, we sci-fi dealt with time travel far before right, like right, this right, era. Right. But the way it, it's like almost conscious movement rather than like movement of a body through time seemingly you know like the 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 principles that relies on the idea that you have to be able to imagine that place and be to travel there and stuff is is probably very much of the era that it was made uh versus previous eras of science fiction but you know time travel is not new but like right yeah it's still very good uh but its presentation is probably where it like stands out most strongly, right? Yeah. Oh, certainly, certainly, certainly. Uh, yeah, and it's just so so affecting in how it's presented. Oh my god, it's a. Yeah. It it is actually it is I was I was watching it and the third time I watched it I started like counting the timing on the on the stills. Yeah. Because it's just a, a thing I started thinking about was like how the time you spend on each still directly relates to the the how fast the story like the pacing of the film at the time is just a really like it essentially by using only still photos breaks down what film is to its almost essential level yeah in the sense that like you spend the time on that still frame that is necessary to have the pacing of that part of the story right that you would have in a in a moving film but in a moving film things are moving so you it's like less obvious like the it makes it even more bald face for the audience that like, oh, we're in a fast section because now the clips are moving faster. Right. You right. know what I mean? It's it's really fascinating because yeah. you you don't have physical action happening on screen to tell you that information, right? Like in a normal film, you would have people running and things would be happening, right? Whereas in this, the only thing that's telling you that is how quickly the clips are changing to the new information. Right. It's just really fascinating for me. Yes, um, there is a on the DVD on the Blu-rays. Uh, the only difference between the DVD and the Blu-ray actually is the inclusion of uh, Junkopia is added for the Criterion Blu-ray. Um, but everything on the Criterion Channel is is from the Blu-rays. Um, there is a, there's a look at uh, the influence of Vertigo on Le Jetier. Yeah. And Vertigo only came out, what, three years before Le Jetier, I think. Uh, 59, 58, right around there. That, um, yeah, they were talking, I mean, yeah. yeah, I don't know it's exactly. It's very close. Yeah. It's very close, but obviously the influence uh, is there. Um, and in fact, where where it makes sort of overt ideas of uh, 
of Vertigo or is one of my favorite bits where they're talking about the, the Sequoia cutaway. Uh, and in Vertigo, it's used uh, as, uh, uh, you know, uh, Carlotta Valdez says, uh, this is where I was born in points, you know, a hundred years ago. Uh, whereas in this movie, uh, our main character says, this is where I'm from and points outside of the tree. Right, uh, right. It's just very... I love how everything is done and everything seems purposeful and uh, and a short needs to be like that, obviously. Um, right. But, uh, but it's just such a perfect... Well, I mean, a short needs to be like that, but yeah. not all shorts are like that. Right, right, like, right, I mean, right, right, right. Also like, true. It, it is... In, it, I cannot conceive of a better crafted short or science fiction short. Yeah. Because of the and again, I think a lot of it has to do with the the method used by, in some ways by cutting it, you know, although it may not be on purpose, maybe it was because, you know, it is because they couldn't get film or whatever. The fact that it is those stills does something to it that makes it more essential, right? Like it's like you were talking about like you know, a short needs to get down to it very quickly and needs to not have a lot of fat on yeah. it, right? Well, not having fucking moving images is definitely, I guess, a kind of fat you can cut out of a film. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and 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 a lot of it comes out. I is it's masterful in terms of editing, right? Because like, you spend exactly the amount of time you should on each image to make you feel that image the appropriate way before it's gone. Yeah. It just disip- it's just ethereal. It's just gone. It's gone forever. Uh, and that's, that's all very it's deeply fascinating. I I love that film. Uh I would watch it 10 more times. And and because of the way it works, right? Like you you each time, right? You're going to get to spend you're just increasing the amount of time you're spending with those images, right? Right. And you're seeing more and more of them and that's really fascinating right right um i think comparatively i also like the gta the gta better uh because i feel like i feel like the ideas of memory uh that both of these movies are talking about uh i relate to better in a narrative than in yeah uh, yeah well and sansole is sort of a narrative also but it's it's a narrative in the way that the writings of a man lost on a river right. in a place he's never been before are also narrative. Right. Um, I Legende gets down to the point of memory that it's trying to talk about so succinctly. Right. Without without directly saying the point, it it does what a good science fiction story does, which is tell you the point right. through what happens. And everybody walks out basically with the same right. information. And what's what's great about this, uh, and and one, you know, uh, we understand better that this is a closed time loop and what's going on. Twelve Monkeys has a uh, a denouement after where this movie ends, right? Right. Where we see the closeness of the time loop better identified, right? Right. Um, whereas this just moves, it ends with the reveal, and then it's done. 
right? <laughs> right, and that's what you need, right? That, right. That's and that, that and you know, you as an audience member, right. I, I, it's and hard to remember just sitting but, there thinking about yeah, what you've watched, yeah. and it's short enough that you can still think about everything you've watched. Right, yeah. and that's a that's an important point right. that is different between this and Sans Soleil, which is like you can compress the entirety of what you just watched into right. your memory, right, and try to process it as a whole. It's twenty seven minutes. It's still in your short term memory. You're great. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, you can you can take it all and just synthesize it live on the spot. Yeah. Like, you're sitting in your chair, and you're like, I now have to think about what just happened. <laughs> right. Let's go and do that. And, like, you can just do it. Uh, and I think that's really valuable. Uh, and it makes me believe, honestly, this movie may have proved that the that the thirty under 30-minute short film may be <laughs> the perfect form of film. I suppose. I, I know that you just want every movie we watch to be under 30 minutes now, but... <laughs> I super duper do <laughs> the amount of time I would have available in my life. But no, in all honesty, if you, especially if you're trying to prove a point and you're trying to make your audience synthesize that point clearly, this is kind of ideal, right? Yeah. It's all there. You did it. And they can think about it without having to like stretch into things that they've already had to like, they've already, you know, in anything else, they've already had to st- sort of delete shit they saw because it was just too much, right? Right. Uh, that was an hour and a half ago. I don't fucking remember. I mean, I'm a person who's watched, who watches Marvel movies and Star Wars movie, you know, new ones and that kind of garbage. And like, you know, I, I love them. You're, it's right. But like, fucking things are three hours long. I don't remember the beginning of the film. <laughs> By the end of the film. By the time we get right. to the credits, I'm like, fuck, what just happened? I think, uh, you know. You know, I, as much as I love 12 Monkeys and I love I love Gilliam. And, I like uh, 12 Monkeys, too. And though. Gilliam, Gilliam mean, is, is so far the only other uh, representative of time travel in the Criterion Collection that we've yeah, seen. And yeah, I think right. time travel is really, really underutilized in the Criterion Collection so far, uh, besides our meta-narrative about, uh, about Scorsese. Well, I mean, uh, that's important, though. It is important. Um. I think the fact that we see the future in this, uh, mm. so we know that uh, we know that things are getting going to get better at some point um, from from the uh, the narratives narrators current time. Um, I think that 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 serves the function that the ending of Twelve Monkeys right. The it's last essentially two putting the denouement in the do. middle of the film, right? Which is right. like. Like there's shit after this, right? Like we're not right. stuck in a, in a right. whatever number of years closed time loop where like nothing escapes. Yeah, uh, and I do like it this way. It's it's yeah. nice because like you actually kind of have to hunt for the hope a little bit. Like it's there, but it's not a part of this guy's story. Not really, because <laughs> he fucking did. Uh, but somebody else's story. It actually, I I thought of. There's a 1989 sci-fi movie called Millennium, uh, okay. which is uh, it's written. <laughs> oh right, it's you say so. It's written by John Varley, uh, who is uh, the same guy who wrote the uh, short story that. Uh, oh goodness, what was the name of it? Emilio Estevez uh, is sucked into the future so that his body can be used as a uh, organ donor for the rich of the future. Is <laughs> I can't remember the name I of that movie. I do not know yet. this film, but I'm anyway, kind of curious now. Uh, Millennium, uh, Millennium is is more essentially this: time travelers from a dystopian future uh, are coming back in time to sort of steal supplies uh, 
to continue functioning as society, but then ends with everyone everyone going to the even more distant future as time refugees. Uh, so that's another movie that obviously owes something to Le Jetier. <laughs> right, yeah, but yeah. But also that, not that a very does, good yeah. one. Um, <laughs> right. Well, you know. What do Sorry, you I just I mean, I had it on my mind, and I just wanted to. Yeah, the, what a, yeah. what a weird pull! I can't even find yeah. the film because you look up Millennium Film and you just get fucking the girl with the dragon tattoo for some <laughs> reason. Uh, Millennium. I'm not clear what the connection there is, but that's uh, what I got. But yeah, this is this is almost like a uh, like those things Marvel and DC are doing with like pan and scans of uh of comic books digital <laughs> where, where yeah, i know yeah no absolutely yeah. i mean i read a lot of digital comic books yeah. i mean i i do it off and on because it's it's an expensive as shit hobby um but yeah. i like i like I, I like visual i i'm a big fan of that as a style format and everything the idea that like you know things don't have to move to move is a is a thing that I like a lot, and I think there is to a certain extent. Excuse me, a certain extent, there's an overemphasis placed on the idea that things have to be yeah moving for the story to move right. Um, and th- and this is a nice in between space between book and film, right? Like it exists in sort of the gray area between those two, which I think is underexplored, right? Like this could be a genre of filmmaking, right? If people wanted it to be. Right. I don't know why. I honestly don't know why it's not. Uh, after people saw this, perhaps because one of the earliest examples of it is one of the most compelling and interesting things. Right, it's you just you're never, never going to win. You're going to be like, yeah. "Well, this is this is no fucking uh, legette, So go fuck yeah. yourself. <laughs> you didn't, yeah. kid. You didn't do it. <laughs> Move along. Right. Um, to get into Saint Solier, uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe some biographical information about. Uh, about marker might help a little bit. Uh, well, whatever we can believe about so, it, things things we know to be true about Parker. Uh, he started he started his career as a critic. He was about thirty when this movie was made. I'm pretty sure uh, when when Le Jetier was made. Obviously, he's he's in his fifties when Sensolier is made. Um, he uh, he did a lot of pro militant leftist film work through the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, in 1977, uh, he did a film called A Grin Without a Cat, uh, which uh, explores the hit rise and fall of militant leftism through the, uh, through the 70s and, and through the latter half of the 20th century. Um he is a guy who survived that and perhaps uh, one thing where I think that gets reflected in the GTA is that our uh, our main character in the GTA survives World War 3 and is in a dystopia but the future is better and the future is better to the point where the future will help the past um be right. better too. You know, they are so uh it is a it is a future that is such a utopia of uh of compassion that that they uh 
they are willing to rescue people from the past and send supplies back to the past. Right. Uh, Which is fascinating, right? Like, it it paints a picture of a world we, like, as a society can't even understand. Right, right. Like, we're not even willing to send help (laughs) to people who live in the world with us right now. Yeah. Much less shipping it back in time. Right, right. We, uh... We're not entirely. Take this thing that will power power all of your industry. It's a lot of here. Just have it. A lot of situations where we're not even willing to ship it across town, let alone. Yeah. Um, Exactly. Exactly. So Marker is uh, he's very interested in the uh, in the seventies, in leftist politics through the seventies, and uh, one of the the Criterion essay uh, for for this box set is by uh, Catherine Lupton. Uh, Chris Marker, Memories Apostle, is what she calls it. Uh, she is a Marker uh, uh, scholar, basically, um, in as much as you can be a Chris Marker scholar, because again, the man likes to uh, likes to uh, cover up um, and lie about right. who he is, or offer offer stories that are ideologically true, if not factually true, about where he comes right, from. Right, I guess so. Um, uh, but she uh, she talks about uh, a grin without a cat, uh, which she describes uh, as showcasing his extraordinary gift for montage to excavate the complexities of a radical history that by the late 70s, was fast succumbing to the whitewash of right-wing historical revisionism. And I want to think about Sansilier and maybe even what, what you and I know as history in the idea that it really is, you know, what's taught as history, historical fact today is right-wing historical revisionism. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and and I think a de- but like that that is also not necessarily a revelation, right? Of course, to not. people, right? But the, my my issue, and and I I have to put this out there pretty early because it, I needed to be on the table as a thing we can talk. Oh yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Is the fact that my problem with what Marker's doing here is not what he's trying to say. Yeah. My problem is is that he has focused it externally on things to which he is external to. Yes. And that is a problem. I I find honestly, and I do like a lot about this movie. I thought it was really engaging, it was it was interesting to watch, and I did enjoy it. It it is deeply steeped in orientalism. Right. Like on a really deep and profound way that I think that 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 demonstrates a lack of introspection about the things you choose to talk about because of the framing of Sans Solier. I will say I don't know that that's marker because yeah, but that's impossible. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because the, like, framing, that's, that's the framing fundamentally is a fictional cameraman who sometimes says very yeah, profound things that. and sometimes says very dumb things. Right, uh, and 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 uh, the writing does. Even our our narrator reading the letter comments sometimes about how dumb the shit this guy's saying is. Um, yeah, absolutely, and, so, and I and I agree with that. So there's and I that. Understand that, and I understand but, he's he never really pushes back against that orientalism that you're seeing. Those there. are specifically places yeah. he never. Right. Those are specific places where even our narrator doesn't comment. Right, right, right. 
Per, like it actually goes beyond Orientalism. There are profoundly actually racist things said <laughs> by the narrator. Yeah, yeah, like, that are actually fundamentally racist. That like there's no way to get around it. They are just racist things to say, and and I'm choosing not to focus on those because they don't get me anywhere from a sort of yeah. analysis perspective. But somebody had to write this thing down. Okay. Yeah. And the problem with that is. When, yes, you're framing it in a fictional narrator, but lots of really super racist shit is framed as a right. fictional narrator. So, lots um, of Oriental shit that we, you and I, like Orientalism shit that you and I have read in our right, lives. Right, 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 right. Is framed as a fictional narrator. It did not make it less true about the author right. either. Yeah, as something they believe. Oh, certainly. Uh, <laughs> this is, uh, at this point, it's six months ago, but, uh, uh, Jason Westhaver uh, last night on Twitter uh, posted a, a image of a book he has. Oh, I see. We're, yeah, our uh, own version of time travel. Yes. Uh, an image of a book he has that is a a pairing of uh, uh, goodness, Heart of Darkness and a uh, a Robert Louis Stevenson book. Uh, but the title oh, of it is God. White Men, White Man in the Tropics. Um, at least it's at least it's accurate yeah. the title. Yeah. <laughs> like at least it's got it it's got yeah. it real locked down on the title yeah. there. Um nice. Uh, oh my which, god. Yeah. And and Heart of Darkness is something, you know, we could talk about in relation to to your critique. Here. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, That's and and we and we have to know yeah. unfortunately, I don't know enough about Marker beyond this. Well, no. So can except to, for a few things that were said in the interviews, yeah. which make me very uncomfortable. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I will. I will say one other thing I've learned about Marker, also from uh, from the essay, uh, a movie he made called Letter from Siberia, uh, plays with plays with these things in an interesting way. Uh, to quote the essay, talking about it, one famous sequence from Letters from Siberia shows footage of a Yakutsk uh, town bus, road menders, and a squinting passerby three times with three different commentaries, a pro-Soviet eulogy showcasing progress and efficiency, an anti-Soviet critique emphasizing backwardness and discomfort, and a, quote, objective sketch of Marker's own impression which he is quick to point out in the film, has no more chir- no more purchase on the truth of Siberia than either of the others. He doesn't he doesn't point out in this movie that the Orientalism has no more purchase on the truth than any other interpretation here, uh, when in fact. It has less of a purchase of the truth than right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? I mean, and, and my problem is like, yeah, I, yeah, that's absolutely true. And like, and maybe he's aware. I mean, like, yeah. it's I'd be fine with believing that he's aware. But I was also watched an interview where we find out that like, and again, who knows? I mean, you're getting into some kind of like crazy right. nonsense here. But like, who knows how yeah. far? Marker's, sort of Marker's not actually extent. interviewed. On any of this stuff either, so right. it's always people talking about him, right. right? So who knows how far the the fiction extends outward? Yeah, uh, but like keep in mind, like one of the things we're told in an interview is that he makes he's he's done his house. He has a, a 
a Japanese tradition of removing shoes when you enter the house sort of thing, specifically pointed as being Japanese and not just a thing that happens in Western right. houses too. Right. But right. um and like and of course that keep in mind that's not an exclusively Japanese thing, but that is the thing that is the, the hallmark that's being pulled here. Yes. Um and, and it what it reminds me of is we have watched a decent number of things at this point from this from these in, in surrounding eras of France of French film. Mid century France that, is Orientalist, period. <laughs> yes. And that and my problem is I just don't know how introspective it is. I have yeah. no idea because there's no pushback on it in this film at all. There's pushback on other stuff, but there's not pushback on that. And it's my assumption that if it's that way towards Japan, it's that way towards the other places that it talks about too. Because Orientalism is not a specific to Japanese or actually, you know, it actually starts with Middle Eastern art primarily. Uh, and it's and and as a as a way of understanding people's views of other cultures extends outward from there. Um, it's really hard to know because I don't know anything about those other cultures, but I'm gonna guess. Yeah. Just purely because of nothing else, the narrator's operating from purely edic perspective. He doesn't. He's not of any of those cultures. Right. And that is always going to be fundamentally a problem. But think about how they talk about San Francisco in the movie, too. Yeah. All, all, all commentary on the cultures that are discussed in this movie are commentary through the lens of the narratives being talked about, already established about those cultures. And that's Letters from Siberia is pushing back against different narratives of news about Siberia, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so the way, the way the uh, the San Francisco portion of this movie functions, is a recreation and a visiting of the set pieces of Vertigo and talking about Vertigo. Yeah. Right. So we only understand the narrator, at least the the metafiction of this movie, only understands San Francisco as the set of a Hitchcock movie. Not as right. an and existing I, yeah. thing, not as a real thing. So anything it says about humanity in the <clears throat> in the rest of the world, in the other parts of the movie, I think needs to be seen with that same suspect that we okay. would have. All right. Fine. And so if we do that, okay, let's let's say we do that, then then at that point the movie fundamentally falls apart because we can't and yeah, it's fine as an art piece then to be like, well, it's, this is a movie and we're in our narrator so unreliable that it tells us nothing at all about anything other than maybe a, a, as we we know it's meant to be a sort of meditation on on memory and yeah. and reliving experiences and things like that. Um but the problem we have then is that like we have very little to hang our hat on at that point. That's fair. Uh and that's a problem in a film, right? Because again, there's a problem where you can make art that's so conceptualized that it loses its ability to ground for your viewers in anything that like they can lock onto. At which point it just becomes a weird, shapeless void. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like art has to interact with reality or else it can't be comprehended by the people who are intended to digest it. You can you can do it. You can divorce it from reality so severely that it doesn't do that anymore, and then it becomes fundamentally inaccessible to all audience members. I also think looking at some of Marker's 
digital artworks that maybe the audience for people to digest this is marker. I don't know that. Right. Well, it's fine. Right. But then, but then I, but then I get it. You know, yeah. we, we talked earlier about, of course, like, that, then we get into a very severe problem of right. just pure navel gazing. Right. That's not, you can think a navel gazer is brilliant. That's not a defense of the movie. I'm don't, I don't right. mean that. No, no, I know. I, I, I'm just, I, I really causes me a lot of problems because we were talking literally right before we started the film or before the recording about, a distaste for people who make like certain kinds of art that are just this thing for the sake of being that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Navel gazing for the sake of just navel gazing is, is garbage. Yeah. Like, okay. Like it just is. And we're all guilty of it. Right. But holy shit. Like my, so, but the problem I get into, right. But is that like, go ahead. What I, what I mean to say with the, with the vertigo talk is, is think about, this movie's treatment of politics and with the, with the stuff uh, in Cape Verde, we talk about uh, Marxist revolutionaries. uh, Whereas stuff in Japan, we talk about uh, uh, communists being oppressed and communism being oppressed and oppressed minorities. Um, And uh, I just, I think, I think again, this movie is trying trying most of all to challenge what uh what marker sees as the preconceived notions a french audience has about the places he's talking about yeah maybe and i and i and i value that as a as yeah. the, by, by problem i ran into is that when you have factual inaccuracies in right. the thing you're trying to do that with or you miss the point yeah. And there's a problem when you make things about things that aren't a thing you are intimately familiar with, that you run the risk of missing the point. Right. And I don't know if that's a marker or that's our fictional narrator. My guess is it's probably both because these are fundamental errors, like like core errors. You know what I mean? Like they're not like misinterpretations. Well, yeah. they are misinterpretations, but they're misinterpretations of the, the, the core unit that the thing is derived from. Does that make sense? Um, like one of the things that really bothered me in this film is it makes constant reference to suicide in Japan. Yeah, and I think it it demonstrated a fundamental core misunderstanding of what that is all about. It was a very Western perspective on what that is and what that means, and he didn't challenge it in a way that would challenge his audience, who was probably also viewing it in the same way, to think about it differently. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like he just it's just presented as a thing and, and and it escalates it in the joking way that French people talking about it might escalate it. Yeah. That's like right. there you know we and and if there's no pushback on that you're not you're not telling your French audience that they're wrong. You're telling them that you're they're right. right. Does that make sense? That's fair. That's fair. And and I think that's true probably in some of the other places. Like I think his heart might be in the right place. Yeah. But like the reality of the matter is his suicide doesn't have the same relationship th- in Japan as it does in the West. It just doesn't. Um and it's not understood in the same way. None of it's the same. And and it actually bothered me most severely well eventually it gets to things like a joke about like committing suicide with a chainsaw which is just just practically fundamentally even if it's a joke just doesn't understand anything about anything yeah um but like 
It also makes references because it goes to Okinawa, and I think kind of it kind of vaguely references the fact that Okinawa is fundamentally a a occupied and oppressed group of people. Yeah, like the Ryukyu Islands are not originally Japanese, uh, and were conquered, and and that shows, and they and it does talk about like failing, like disappearing. Uh, traditions and stuff like, and that's all really valuable and interesting things to talk about and, and kind of getting across an idea that like the only thing that holds those things into existence is memory right right um but you know then it like talks about the martyrs you know the cult martyrs or the, you know it, it, talk, it mentions a a place where there's a shrine to women who committed suicide with hand grenades in okinawa during the war yeah, but and and I maybe I need to rewatch it again. I mean, I may have misunderstood what he was trying to say, but like, if you seem to fail to understand that those people didn't want to, like, right. were tricked into committing suicide, that they didn't do it because they like thought it was a great thing that that you know it, it was a trick. It, like, it's a whole, there's a whole issue in Japan resolving around there that's just sort of like kind of a side note that's not really well talked about in this thing. And doesn't seem to that seems to miss the point. Does that make sense? Like, and I feel like there's those kind of janky things everywhere, where it's like an outsider's view of an outsider's view of a thing. Right. But it being an outsider's view of an outsider's view, I think plays into some of the themes of the movie, like the the stuff that Hayao Yamaneko is doing by feeding feeding old images into a synthesizer that's uh making noise out of them right right uh and that sort of precursor to a remix society and the remix you know this this movie's use of vertigo and jta's use of vertigo is 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 precursor to that sort of remix society that we live in now too um and then he talks about you know we go from that and we go to the bit where he's talking about uh, the failed, uh, the failed nature of uh, militant leftism, and he says, "As for the students, some massacred each other in the mountains in the name of revolutionary purity, while others had studied capitalism so thoroughly to fight it that they now provide it with its best executives. Like everyone else, the movement had its postures and its car- <clears throat> careerists, including, and there are some, those who made a career of martyrdom." But it carried with all those who said, like Che Guevara, that they trembled with the indignation every time an injustice is committed in the world. They wanted to give a political meaning to their generosity, and their generosity has outlasted their politics. That's why I will never allow it to be said that youth is wasted on the young. Then he segues into talking about the youth of this part of Japan. I I just, you know, it's it's about ideals and ideas and not living up to those ideas, but then some of those ideas outlasting who you are, I guess, is right. what and, I mean and, to say there. And we, and we see that, um, you know, I mean, you, other there are lots of artwork that deals with the idea of, like, what happened to the hippie movement, yeah. right? Like, yeah. like, what happened to that? Like, where did that go? Like, where, how did that die? And, like, what, and, you know, a lot of it comes down to, like, eating itself alive and stuff like that. Um, it, and, you know, and, that, and that's all fine, right? But like, 
how do I I don't know how to talk this is very complicated. Like it seems still to me to be a person who was never a part of that talking about a thing that like Okay, a prime example of this, and again, this is this is the narrator and not marker, but I, who knows, right? Like you can't yeah. know, um, and so we can't we can't really separate it that way. I can't because never of the nature know of this the film. author certainly, right? Yes. I have to attribute to a certain extent anything that is said by this film to marker himself because of the nature of what he's made. Um, like they're talking about the TVs in the in the yeah. in the watching TV, right? And this a very classic orientalism in this era about Japan is this obsession with Japan as a sort of visual media culture outputting things and yeah. like it, there's a there's a marked obsession in the eighties with that about Japan. Yes. As, as though there's some sort of weird secret Japanese formula for that or something like that. And and this and again this idea of um uh exceptionalism, right? Attributed in a different direction, but still, like we, I see it all the time. It's just, it's, it's, it was crazy common in the '80s, and it hasn't gone away completely. Uh, it's different now, but uh, it's still there. But even so, like talking about the TV and just like flipping through and just these random images, and yeah, remix culture is great, I guess. But um, it's like it makes a statement, like you know, like you know, I. I felt for moments that like I could understand Japanese and all this stuff, and it's like, which points to a really weird place to be in, right? Because it's like, oh, but you can't. But he immediately so says that too, though, because he, I know because then he talks about uh, the uh, the kids with the sticks beating the ground, and how he thought he, it was some sort of intimate uh, religious thing, uh, but it was just to chase away the moles, you know. He he comments on his own inability well, to understand what's actually happening here because of the narratives he's already built about what's happening here. Right, and 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 I understand that, but like, and there are those instances of that, but then there's also broad sweeping claims about like the nature of, you know, the digital, like the the you know the the images being expressed all over the place, right? Like, and then. You know, I, you know, and who knows, right? Because, like, you know, he's in Tokyo, and that's a whole other thing, right? Because, right. like, Tokyo is Tokyo, right? It's not Japan. It's Tokyo. It's, it's still presenting a monolithic view of right. Japan, which right. is also incorrect, right? You can't break an entire country down into these people who you see in this one place. And he goes to Hokkaido at the beginning, but that's very, like, just talking about people in this sort of in-between space while they're traveling and stuff, which is not really about Japan as much as it's just about people traveling in general um yeah no i mean he does at times it's just i it's i just think that the narrative nature of the uh of the of the the monologue of this film suggests if there is character growth it is important that him recognizing that this thing he's seeing is not some shinto thing he doesn't understand but really just kids scaring away moles takes place the thing is that's five minutes before the end of the movie right right but also that is also a misunderstanding yeah because the thing about it is is that when you're dealing with these sorts of things 
There's no there's no line of separation between those things. Right. Chasing the way the moles is part of the and, and, is part of the the right. significance and, and of when this you, whole thing. When you too, try right? to separate it, right. you, you generate your own new sets of problems, right? Right. You can't understand specific discrete units of being inside of experiences. Which is there's why. not religious practices yeah. and then daily practices. They're all the same thing all the time, always. And the problem is, is what you're getting into, to my mind, is unfortunately a thing that, like, is essentially, and again, we don't know, because we don't know who's Marker and who's the narrator, is kind of only mediocre amateur anthropology. Right. Like, still trying to do that European and British thing of breaking down and again, the I, world I get into that, those but discrete I feel units. like the movie acknowledges that that's what it is, too. I don't know. I mean... Yes and no. I mean, like, yeah, it, well, maybe at the, you know, but like, you get a couple of those kinds of nods to it at the end, but after an hour and a half of just blanket statements <laughs> about things. Yeah. Yeah. It's. You can't, you know what that's I mean? Fair. Like, that, that's like, that's like a lot of th- people try to do that a lot in our real world, and we don't like it when they do it, right? Like, in real world, like in just our real world, a person can be a shitty person, do a whole bunch of shitty things, and at the end be like, well,. I might have been wrong about that. Yeah, that we don't necessarily allow that to excuse what what it has been has come before, without actual effort to yeah. repair what's been done. And I don't think and you know and and as an exploration of that thing, it, like I said, this is a really interesting movie to watch. I, I generally found it a little bit uncomfortable. This to me is the journey of someone getting to the point where they can start to recognize. Because we get that comment about the moles, and that's when he understands how he can use the three Icelandic girls for for his art. And that's when he goes back to Hayao and understands for the first time what Hayao is actually trying to do with his art of deconstructing old images into tones. Uh, and then we don't have his narration, but the commentary from our narrator saying he writes me from Japan. He writes me from Africa. He writes me that he can summon up the look on the face of the market lady of Praia that has lasted only the length of a film frame. Will there be a last letter? So she wonders whether or not he's actually learned the lessons he claims to have learned in the last five right. minutes. And, and, right, and and that's an it's an interesting like thing to do yeah. at the end of the movie. And I and I get that. I'm and, just saying there's and, a character you know, arc here. It's not there <laughs> right. is. Uh, it is very shallow. It's in the a sense shallow that, like, character arc because we're only it seeing all in the last we're three seeing, minutes of the film. We're only seeing a smidgen of the character arc. We're seeing the the arc sh- first start to turn, and then but. and then but we get into this other thing where like okay, so now he understands the art, like the sort of synthesized art. But then you you as an audience member have to ask, does he? And that's because that's what the narrator is asking at the end. With will there be a last letter? Right. And, 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 you know, and that's fine, but like what, what you, okay. So what we're essentially describing here is an hour and 25 minutes 
of bad anthropology. Oh, I think it's closer to an hour forty. Medi- but yes, <laughs> I, I've lost track of how long the movie is. Honestly, I just sat there. The movie is one forty-five, um, and we're talking. Okay, like the so last it's an hour and forty minutes <laughs> of bad, bad, sort of nasal gazing, bad anthropology, like the sort of stuff that people write in travel diaries when they, which is what it is I supposed to be, basically. But anyway, when they when they tour around in places, but they don't really get to know that place in any depth with like a five minute character arc at the end where he like maybe realizes he doesn't understand how things work in these places that he's not from and doesn't have any intimate personal cultural knowledge of um to me that's a very unrewarding character arc um so what i'm left with is you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 percent of this movie is is a person making blanket statements that verge on that oscillate between absurd to uh to orientalist to just outright racist and then back again with yeah. with certitude but because this is a movie that's commenting on memory and not on culture mm-hmm. not 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 in finite pronunciations about what culture is and and what 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 any individual culture is it's about memory it's about and in being about memory it's about the way minds work right so right but i i i find personally that it doesn't it does because it chooses to try to understand that through the lens of minds that are not their own yeah that is problematic. That 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 argument for what this film is is problematic because it makes a lot of statements about the way other people understand history and memory without actually possessing that mind. Fair. We do we do talk about the narrator's memories, but we actually talk a lot about other people's memories who are not the narrator and the way they understand history and their own memories. And those statements are riddled with the sort of what we're talking about the sort of things that 19 you know 20 early you know mid 20th century late early 20th century sorry early 20th century late 19th century europeans did as they traveled around other countries which is believing that they can look from the outside at other people and knowing what their mind is yeah believing that that's categorizable and like understandable from an outside perspective it's a problem that, for example, Japanese anthropology has dealt with extensively yeah. because a lot of the writing that in history has been done about it from the out about Japanese sort of self from the outside, and that's problematic because when there's pushback from the people who actually possess that mind, it's oftentimes relegated to the scrap heap of academia rather than taken to heart as being the actual perspectives of the people who experience those things and and this and again if it's a comment on that that's great but it doesn't make it as clear i think as it could that that's oh this person's just a guy who's kind of full of shit walking around i don't know where where the moments the moments where uh where he's on and talking about memory i think i think do do that you know he says every memory can create its own legend he says, I will have spent my life trying to understand the function of remembering, which is not the opposite of forgetting, but rather it's lining. We do not remember. We rewrite memory such as history is rewritten. How can one remember thirst? You know. 
it I don't Yeah, okay, I, but so okay, so what we've crossed in is yeah, we have moments of college dorm room <laughs> levels of Okay, that's fair too. Yes, like philosophy. Fine. Like you know what I'm saying, right? Like I'm not like again, I like a lot about this movie, but I also really I found the movie honestly, if I'm being very honest, it was a fairly distasteful experience oh, yes. for me. Because we got a lot of sort of bad college dorm room navel gazing sort of philosophy mixed with a lot of statements that are made yeah. that I from a personal perspective know to be inaccurate. Right. My, and I also and, and think not a lot of pushback on it. I also think the guy writing these letters is meant to be kind of an idiot. Um but I, I agree. Also agree with that. Yeah. That is definitely true. Yeah. Uh and that and that's but what I what I'm worried about here is that Marker's not that yeah. but he because he didn't care to make it clear to his audience, his audience doesn't know that again, and 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 people, you and I exist in a time period that's separate from when this movie was made, where where the things that he's talking about with regards to the ability to rewrite history are writ large among, like, the time frame in which that happens is shortened exponentially. Right. Like we we exist in a time where there's like basically active rewriting of the things that are happening right now yes you know what i mean absolutely in, in a way that is gross and disgusting and um you and i know that if you don't come out and say that that's what's happening it kind of doesn't mean anything right in this movie i think th- maybe fails because it's not explicit enough about what like it doesn't fail like it fails at that because it's not yeah to me explicit enough about how much this person is an idiot and how much the audience shouldn't be listening to what he says that's fair but i also think the 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 nature of a narrative is uh you know by the time we get to the end he is he has grown and and it's yeah. maybe worth listening to a little more than some of the less coherent things he has said, <laughs> or the coherently yeah. bad things he has said. Right, and and yeah, for sure, and 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 it's just you know, we we uh, it's just a hard thing to deal with. Yeah, you need to and understand then, that this then, movie. As much as this movie feels like it's stream of consciousness, it's not stream of consciousness. This is a purposely yeah, written. written and purposely put together. Absolutely, piece and of I it. and I don't. I would never buy into it being stream of consciousness. Right. It just is right. meant to feel that way. Right. Um, but then again, I the you know, I was more uncertain until I found out until there was a very simple statement in a documentary about in the Japanese style taking your shoes off, <laughs> and that really like okay. threw me through a loop. I was like, fucking hell. Again, remember right, that's, that's a French guy talking about markers. So, an old Frenchman also talking about markers. I understand that, but it's another old Frenchman, a yeah. place that is is notorious for doing this shit specifically to Japan. Right. But also the other places right. that they go. <laughs> right. Like, just the, the wild, random-ass appropriation of just random shit from other cultures and then pretending like you understand it is a thing for, for the French uh, that we've seen in movies, uh, like the number of movies we've seen that make reference to Japan from France that are generally wildly inaccurate about what is Japanese culture is is quite high. 
Adam. Yeah. <laughs> so you can understand why I'm on my guard about this film. And of course, right from the and of like, course, Marker being someone who claims to have maybe been born in Alain Batar. Uh Right. That's another that's one of those another, random things. Like, right. even if it's a joke, that's a weird joke to make. Like, even right. if you're just messing around. And to maintain. You have to be. Right. And to maintain over time is like, that's a bad thing to do. Yeah. Like, you can't, not just appropriating somebody's culture, but also appropriating their, their being almost to a certain extent at that point. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you and I just suddenly started claiming we were born in France, and that we, we are therefore French, and therefore we possess France in us, that would be a weird thing to do, but at least France is not a notoriously downtrodden culture. <laughs> right. Ignored by an entire half, like, exclusively viewed by an entire half of the world as being just only valuable for its exoticisms. Right. I'm just saying this sort of stuff makes me uncomfortable. I don't know, though. Doesn't it go the other way? France is exoticized in, in uh, Japanese culture, isn't it? It absolutely yeah. is. Oh, absolutely, 100%. Not to say, it does go not to say that's equal. Not to... It is right. not equal. Right. It is 100% not equal because we, we can get it, you know, we as we can acknowledge very easily, like, you, you know, the whole thing where, like, somebody will say, like, well, isn't the word cracker racist? And it's yeah. like, okay. <laughs> Dudes. But you're, but you're, let's be honest. You can here. say cracker, so um. yeah, you can say cracker, and there's a reason why you can say cracker. <laughs> right. um, That's not the that one we call this. Power word. differentials, um. Um, and and there in Japan's, but and keep in mind, like the Japanese fascination with, um, with France, and then also like you know has a lot to do with the way that, uh, you know, turn of the you know. Japan entering into sort of what's air quote considered the modern world mm. was a you better fucking figure this out now or we're going to take your shit over right right and and a lot of that was like we talked about it a couple weeks ago about just random ass importation of shit right just be like now we're modern yeah please don't send any more gunships thank you very much now we have our robot JFK so yeah it's, and and that you know and that sort of stuff expands exponentially outward right yeah. like after that's and and. And there is a fascination with the West, and 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 I get annoyed in the opposite direction all the time. Yeah, and I have to remind myself that, like, you know what, like, it's okay. Like, I need to not be annoyed by it, but I still get annoyed because you know it's how it works, right? Right. You're we are still human, uh, but you know, I mean, I've been to uh, what's his name? I uh, now I can't uh, now I can't forget. Uh, fuck. Nah, never mind. I give up. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be able to pull a name fast enough to make this work. The point is that that there's a power differential there, even to this day. Yeah. And that, and and actually, when you see stuff like the sort of those sort of the blanket racism that we see in this film, okay, the points where it's actually racist, the whether it's being puppeted, it's just being parroted, or it's real, right? It's and irrelevant. there's and there's no difference. So. The racism that's being talked about there is what happens when one of those countries that has always been second level gets air quotes uppity. Okay? Right. Those kinds of statements are the sorts of statements that happen when suddenly a country that was never supposed to be a threat was never supposed to be anything but second tier 
seems like they might win, might take something. You know what I mean? The whole 80s, 90, like, like 80s fear of Japan was based on a basic fundamental principle of, oh, no, now they're going to beat us at our at this. You know what I mean? Yeah. But now they're not supposed to be able to do that because we're the ones who are supposed to win. We're the ones who are always supposed to be on top. And we see the exact same thing uh, focused on uh, China all the time these days, yeah. right? China's dangerous, not because China's dangerous. I mean, we can talk about human rights abuses and all kinds of stuff like that, but that's irrelevant to what is actual racism, which is the idea that this is not a first-tier country. This is a second-tier country. They are not supposed... And that is a... And so you end up with things, statements that are racist at their core about it rather than dealing with it as an actual, like group of people that are worth dealing with and that's what that is in this is the 80s the direct line between the 80s Amer- like american fear of the booming japanese economy and taking over everything with their super technology there's a direct line between that and the way that japan that china's dealt with now in media yeah there, it's a, there's zero i mean it's a literally just shifting that over it's all that happened uh because japan's not a threat anymore that way um, and so I, I mean, it's just I don't know that that stuff was that stuff was very upsetting, right? Right. And, and if you're gonna parrot racist things, right. and the way he talks about the the African people in Cape Verde, yeah, same thing. <laughs> I just thing. I don't I'm not in a position to directly comment yeah. on that yeah. at the same level, right? It's a uh, even when he's trying to push back against what may be negative stereotypes, he's still saying things. I don't know. The pronunciation, the the pronouncement, you know, all women have a built-in grain of indestructibility, and men's task has always right. been to make them realize it as late as possible. It's a pro-woman statement, but it's a pro-woman statement in the same... Well, it's 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 essentialism, right? Yeah. It's the idea that like there's right. some fundamental core right. thing here that I can get to and understand, and yeah. then I'll know what I need to know. Yeah. And that's about that. That's about that all over the place in this film. Yeah. And then, Again. and then the very next line of that: African men are just as good at this task as others. Is is a line of equality of men around the world, but after a close look at African women, I wouldn't necessarily bet on the men. Again, is designed to be a positive thing about women but at the same time plays into racial stereotypes about Mm -hmm. uh overly masculine overly strong african women and that's yeah exactly century old racist stereotypes yes yeah well a lot of this stuff is is we're we're, this there's there's no there's nothing new under the sun um and and the reality of the matter is it's like again even if the, 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 you get into it, when you start looking at this part of it, right, you start getting into the problem I was talking about earlier, which is like, yeah, maybe it's meant to be yeah. like making fun of these viewpoints. The Very guy's an idiot. Even but... trying to demonstrate growth. Yeah. <laughs> but like, boy, you really be nice if you just told us that. Right. Like, if you really made that super clear. Yeah. Because if you're going to parrot like stereotypes and, and, and racism – that's a very dangerous game to play, and you have to be very clear about what you're doing. Well, another very dangerous game to play, though, uh, from a narrative construction standpoint, is how, because we have someone else reading these letters, mm-hmm. we do every so often get a verbal eye roll 
from the woman reading these letters. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yep, yep. And on the one hand, it would be better to have moments where she pushes back against these sorts of things, but also too yeah. much intrusion would be bad. And I don't know if he reaches the proper balance. Certainly for no, you, I, he doesn't. I, no, and I think the problem for me is is that once you introduce the fact that the narrator has agency right. and can push back, when you choose not to push back, that's also a comment. Right. You're saying, this is not a thing I have to push back against. Yeah. My Because the narrator, ha in this sort of level of meta sort of storytelling, the narrator is the closest thing we can get to Marker. Yeah. Presumably. Uh, because it's the top this top level. It's the, it's the highest possible level in the story. So it's the closest thing to Marker's voice. If and Marker pushbacks against certain things and not other things, that's a comment that the things that's not being pushed back again is not worth pushing back right. against. And given what we know about Marker's life, it seems like a a sort of maybe somewhat self-parodic, but still a stand-in for him. Yeah. And his documentary travels. So. Yeah, and, and it just, I, I mean... Yeah, I I don't know. I I mean, in the end, it's interesting to watch. Uh, but like in reality, I find it just to be too uncomfortable. Yeah, like it, it what it, you know. It reminds me of a thing that I've I've experienced quite a bit because I'm I'm a big fan of cyberpunk writing, is a thing I enjoy very much. Yeah. Uh, and I I think the people who wrote a lot of cyberpunk, uh, not the name specific names, tried really hard. But part of that was a sort of essentialism about certain cultures right. that were being sort of ex right, and you get this in science fiction, right, where you start like, I've got to extend this culture forward in time, right, kind of arrive at what it, it will be in the future. You fundamentally sort of start relying on essentialism and, and the idea, of like, well, I've got to break it down to what it is at right at the core, and that's problematic. And some culture, and sometimes people that. think essentialism is uh, praising. Like the like the, yeah 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 like the it's Jews very in Dune stuff, right? like the Jews in Dune, and when yeah. the Jews show up yeah. in the Dune books and they're essentially unchanged because they've been living secretly from the other religions of the world basically of, of society right. yeah yeah you know, that's essentialism and on the one hand maybe it is interesting in this world that Jews have somehow uh, despite the remix of of all other religions within Dune uh, but also it's still its own. It still plays to its own stereotypes about Jewishness, right? Right, and and yeah, is exactly, exactly. That's a yeah. real, that's a perfect now, yeah. uh, um, metaphor for it. It's 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 all very, for, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, Marker himself says on a more matter of fact level, and I don't believe, I don't believe Marker when he says matter of fact. I have to say that. Yeah. On a more matter of fact level, I could tell you that the film and um, that the film intended to be and is nothing more than a home movie. I really think my main talent has been to find people to pay for my home movies. Were I born rich, I guess I would have made more or less the same films, at least the traveling kind, but nobody would have heard of them except for my friends and visitors. Uh so in that way, he takes more of a personal responsibility for the ideas in this right in this and, film, and, right? And, too, so. and, that, and that's a that's a thing, right? Because like I mean, he shot this film, right? right. 
Like, he didn't just buy stock footage. Yeah. So he pointed the camera at things that he thought were worth pointing the camera at, which is in itself a thing, right? Like, that's a that's a choice. Yeah. What you find interesting is a choice, right? Is a thing that, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, you know. It you know you go to you go to for example Tokyo and you point your camera at mostly billboards on the walls, you do miss other things. Yeah, and you pointed at festivals and festivals are very fascinating, very interesting, but like, I've been reading about Shinto festivals for fucking ten <laughs> years and I still could not definitively tell you about them. Yeah. On a on a on a on a level, I'm comfortable saying I'm the expert of this thing. Right, right. And I never will be. Period. Ever. Yeah. And I think you know what I'm saying. Another reason that it's a woman reading these letters is is a further commentary on white men in particular thinking they're experts. Yeah, I believe that. I too. believe that's true. So, that for sure. Yeah. Um. So there's that too. I think the movie has a lot of very interesting things going on. I understand your concerns, though, yeah. and 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 I do too. Yeah. I agree that it's very interesting. Yeah. I I watched it and I did not like balk at watching. Right, I watched it engaged. Right, but like I feel at the end when we got to the end, I felt a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing on the DVD. <laughs> yeah. Junkopia <laughs> is called Junkopia, and it is yeah. A, that's a whole other thing. A six-minute <laughs> short on the weird pop-up pop art uh, that existed from the uh, late '60s through the '90s in the mud flats uh, outside of San Francisco mm-hmm. uh, that have uh, since been torn down. Uh, well, yeah, yes. Though occasionally um, more pop up, it seems. Pop up art in the San Francisco region. I don't know what the current exact state <laughs> right now, but I mean, like, I think it got just moved to people's neighborhoods essentially. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The interesting conversation around. Uh, Art in the mudflats that I've read is all I, has been uh, having a place for public art versus uh, uh, unneeded intrusion into uh, endangered uh, animal habitats. Uh, right. Yeah. But uh, it's a uh, Marker's film is just sort of a. Uh, archive of images of the artwork more than anything right there's very very little else going on with it so right yeah absolutely i mean you know we could talk about agency right yeah even like which ones does he point his camera at right Right. but like yeah it's basically just that i mean it's just you know he really likes the 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 boat looking one right big fan of that one and that's and that's uh (laughs) you know i think junkopia more reflects what he did in the digital era of just stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does seem true. I mean, it's just, yeah. 
and and it, it's it's an interesting little sort of art piece, right? Of just sort of like here's some stuff. Um, this is a this is an interesting artist. It's an interest. We're talking about an interesting creator. Uh, it, his randomness to a certain extent makes him less appealing to me. Yeah. If I have to be honest, like I like to a certain extent a sort of consistency in an artist with not so much within like what they make per se, but like within like the way they operate. You know what I mean? Like this, this and Legete could be not other than basically being still images have almost nothing else in common with each other. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then the other references we see in the sort of short interviews are like his digital art, which is just, I mean, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's there. It exists. Uh, I don't have a lot else to say about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that we would spend at least 15 minutes very interested in, in memory uh, and then never open it again. So, Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. No, it's definitely one of those things that like, Jonathan would pick up at like Goodwill or something, <laughs> find a copy of, bring that to our house. We would all obsess over for like an hour or something one yeah. afternoon, and then like no one would ever touch it again until maybe like six, a, three years later, somebody decides to do something with it. Then that whatever they decide to do with it doesn't get finished. That 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 piece of art has a trajectory in our environment for sure. Um. Oh no! What happened? I accidentally clicked a thing that started playing when I wasn't expecting it to start playing. I'm sorry. Oh, I was like, I, Pat, I accidentally bought memory <laughs> in memory. <laughs> Oops, I own it now. Uh, I found a four. I really thought that's where this was headed. I, I found was a like, four-hour YouTube it. video that may be all of in memory. <laughs> that's I believe it. I hope I hope it is formatted as a uh, as a let's play. In fact, now I want to do a let's play of in memory. <laughs> yeah, God, it sounds like such an amazing idea. You should do it for real. But I would like to point out that's exactly what I just described. Yeah. As our trajectory as a group of people. Yes. Where you would probably buy it on eBay, get halfway through it and be like, I'm just not going to do this. <laughs> yeah. This is not going to happen. We're done. I'm not engaged enough with this to make this worth my time. Yeah. Uh Anyway, we have been this week talking about the works of Chris Marker, primarily Sans Soleil from 1983, and Le Jetier from 1962. Uh, Le Jetier is one of the best things I've ever seen. Sans For Soleil sure, totally. On board. Is something else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want to be, I kind of want to, I really feel bad, like, when we get to the end of this kind of episode. Like, I want to be very clear. Yeah. I, did watch Sansole and not feel like I did not right. hate it. And you watched it multiple uh, times even. So Yes, I did. Yeah. I just felt it it feels very uncomfortable and not in the way that like a good piece of uncomfortable art makes you like right. question yourself. It made me uncomfortable in the sort of like I'm questioning the artist instead, which right. is a little bit un- of yeah. a, a strange, not comfortable position to be in. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Uh. Next week, we'll be talking about The Two of Us from 1967, directed... Just The Two of Us. No. 
Well, I mean, you can cut all that out. Sorry. Directed by Claude Berry. Uh, Claude Berry. It is a French uh, comedy drama um, that deals with a Jewish boy in Nazi occupation France. So I'm sure it'll be super happy. <laughs> I feel like I understand that that's possible, but like, man, the words you just said do not sound <laughs> like they belong together. Right. Uh, but also the main character's name is Claude, so it might be uh, autobiographical. I don't know. I don't want to speculate until we've actually watched it. So Yeah, we just got to watch yeah. this. I mean, there's just no way. Yeah. Uh, thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Hidden Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. And we'll see you then. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it. <laughs>